Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the previous episode, I spoke with Shalja Dixit, CEO and co-founder of Curio. In their own words, Curio is a digital therapeutic company with a tailor-made cognitive behavioral therapy programs for women across the cycle of life. Today, I speak with Louisa Stewart and Emmerich Prashant, eHealth Project Directors at the French Ministry of Health. For those who follow this podcast and the digital therapeutics industry closely, you know that all the eyes have been on Germany with the DIGA. Well, by popular demand, I have the pleasure of hosting Luisa and Amerik to give you, our audience, a bit of history and the current state of digital therapeutics in France, and of course, what's to come. But before we dive in, I had dozens of inbound messages asking me to get an update on what is happening internationally. And given the advancements in France, it just seemed logical to focus on the largest country in the European Union. Well, at least by surface area. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Louisa and Emmerich. Louisa and Emmerich, welcome to the DTX podcast. Excited to have you both here. And this is actually outside of our coffee talk with Amalgam, my first time doing this recording with two people at once. So let's see how it goes, but let's start as we usually start. And I will ask maybe Louisa to quickly introduce herself and then you, Emmerich. And both of you, please don't forget, one key thing, we want to get to know the people that are driving the digital therapeutics and digital health industry. One interesting fact about each of you. So why don't we kick it off with Louisa and we'll go on from there. Hello, my name is Louisa Stuve. So I'm working as a project director here at the French Ministry of Health and Prevention at the Digital Health e-health delegation. It's one of the youngest delegations in our ministry. And my background is both in public administration and in public health. And I've been working in many public and private structures before joining the ministry. And a fun fact about myself, well, I'm a very European citizen. I have both a French and the German nationality. So in all of my work, I always promote the European perspective. Love it. And Emmerich, welcome. Your turn. Yes, thank you. So I'm a colleague of Louisa. My name is Emeric Perchamp. I'm a project director at the Health Delegation of the French Ministry of Health. And I'm in charge broadly of everything related to medical device innovation, health technology assessments and regulatory pathways. I'm holding an engineering degree and a PhD in signal image processing, and I work for more than 15 years for startups, and this is where my heart belongs, sort of. I worked also a lot to help build startups in technology transfer, and I've been in the French ministry since one year, and I don't know if I'm mentioning the fun fact now. Yeah, let's go. Let's hear it. I never wanted to work for the French health ministry. <laughs> but these guys came to find me because I used to work for startups. And there was really a weird moment. They came to find me and they wanted me to work. And they asked if I had any references, people they could call. And I tried to call to tell my friends, you will be called. And they say, I will never say that you can work for the ministry. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it is a fun fact. And I guess part of it is, I think, with the ministry overseeing the health and well-being of citizens, you can make a huge impact. Not to say that you can't do that in a startup, but looking forward to hearing more. 
would love to hear a little bit about broader digital health journey at the Ministry of Health. What was the trigger for it and when did it really start? It's ongoing and there's a lot of activities that are going on, but we'd love to hear a little bit of the journey. Let's back us up historically. We have a big history on this journey and it was not always a good story. So the story, and I won't be too long, don't worry, but it started nearly 30 years ago where we wanted to do digital health patient files. And it was really something that didn't work for many, many and many years. But I think nearly four or five years ago, there's been a tremendous change with two people starting the digital health and handling this at the ministry. And it was Laura Letourneau and Dominique Pont who came and were missioned to start something new and to build something in a different, in different way. And there's been ever since really huge steps forward. And they started by building a roadmap with everyone, with every stakeholders in France and also in Europe. And that's one people such as Luisa were hired also. And there's kind of a startup spirit. And that's why I came here, because they really convinced me the way you change things in startups, but on a much broader scale. So they started by just augmenting the pace to build all the information system infrastructures in hospitals and to be up to date in time of information system. So to build everything related to the infrastructures. So they introduce what we call the state platform philosophy, where the state has to handle everything related to ethics, to interoperability, to reliability, so that everyone is confident in the way we handle the data. So there was a huge budget of two billions to build these infrastructures, and we call that in France the Ségur de la Santé. So the health Segur, Segur is the name of the streets where there's the French health ministry. And after they build a lot of different things based on that, they build the individual health patient files for every citizens. And after also came another budget or now more than 700 millions about innovation in digital health, where we're building a lot of different things. And maybe we could talk about that later. But what is really important is that the philosophy and how we do things. We do things by consulting every stakeholders. And it's really important, but we do it in a really efficient manner. Very startup style. Yes. But when we say, okay, now we make a decision, then we go and we advance and we want results and we want to have results really fast. And we want to just embark everyone with us. So there's a lot of communications involved, obviously, but it's not at all about communication. We have to communicate. It's about results and the way we do things. And that's what matters. And we used to call it the, I don't know how you would, put it, but it's a lot of small, but fast boats. Yes. So it's a lot of boats, not a big tanker, right? <laughs> Louisa, anything to add kind of historically to this? 
Definitely. Thanks so much. I think Emeric very well depicted the history of the digital health delegation and indeed small fast steps, as Emeric said, is really our way of thinking, our way of operating. And Emeric also mentioned the Segur funding program of 2 billion. And actually, this is European funding. And this brings me to complete a little bit this journey, which actually became more and more European. Indeed, we have the state as a platform vision for the digital health development all over France. And this is a challenge because France is a very centralized state. And indeed, by consulting and going from a bottom-up approach, going to the regions and so on, we were able to actually make this a reality. And so now also the regions are very much involved in this and have their own plans which translate the national strategy. So what happened at the EU level is we were quite lucky to have the key role in the European Union in the first semester of 2022 when France was presiding the European Union Council. So that was a big moment for digital health. And so indeed, that was actually the moment when I joined the team here a few months before that presidency started, before I worked in the French Health Data Hub, which, by the way, is another great example for the digital health journey in France, because France has the biggest medical administrative or health claims database in the world, I would say, with almost the whole population covered and all that data with this law that also actually put in place the whole digital health developments in France called Ma Santé 2022, enlarged the SNDS, which is the national health data system, basically covering all data linked to reimbursement and health. So you can imagine the mass of data that is now available for research and innovation, which we call secondary use of health data. And this is by the way, a big topic right now at the EU level with the European Health Data Space Regulation. So going back to that French EU presidency, we had a very, very ambitious digital health agenda, mainly targeting two pillars, the first one being ethics. So we had the adoption of the digital health principles for ethics at the EU level. And on the second hand, we also had the European single market approach for digital health with two main achievements, adoption of Summit CT, which happened obviously at the EU level, but was happening during the French EU presidency, and unified market access for digital health therapeutics, digital health technologies. We will speak about this also maybe later, but it means that we have a unified ambition to unify evaluation of those digital medical devices. So Louisa, you said the magic word towards the digital therapeutics, and that's the podcast we're on. And so we'd love to learn a little bit more around decision process or the real trigger for specifically the DTX reimbursements. I think as a society, we know there's not enough clinicians, nurses, doctors, and generally clinical staff. And I think the promise of digital therapeutic is sort of self-paced prescription or non-prescription. But again, would love to understand a little bit how that bubbled up for reimbursement specifically around digital therapies. There's two different things in what you just said. One thing is, what is the place of the healthcare specialists, of the physicians, of the nurses with digital therapeutics? And there's another question about how do we come to say we want to reimburse those DTX? So let's focus on the second part of it, and then we'll touch on the human beings in the picture later. Yeah, it's also an important point. So what was the trigger? The trigger in France, I think, and there's many things, there are many thoughts involved in this, that there has been many, many what we call experiments and derogative reimbursement. So say, let's just try something else, but we just wanted to try. And we could cite at least four or five different types of experiments. There's one called ETAP, 
that about remote monitoring, another one about innovative device, uh, there's Article 51, Article 51. It's not a REA 51 from the US, so there's no UFO. <laughs> That's always good when it comes to people's health, no magical UFOs. Yes, it was the number of the article in the law of that year. And there's other experiments. And I think what the ministry said at one time, that's okay, we made many experiments, some were successful, some less successful, as we'd rather say. And now it's time to not only try, but to embark everyone in the process. And to embark everyone, we have to create a market, we have to create reimbursement so that the industry will come and will make real product and will benefit from this reimbursement, but also, of course, the patients. And it was decided last year with many stakeholders and with the tremendous motion of what has been done at the French ministry to make a reimbursement of DTX together with the remote monitoring coming inside the common law for the reimbursement. And we do the two were done at the same time. And so we want to just say there's successful experiments, let's make it permanent. And there's DTX coming. And the German DIGA was a little bit ahead of us in terms of DTX, but we also had remote monitoring and we were ahead of the, uh, of the German DIGA. So it was really the right moment to go forward. And I can jump in here maybe with this German pressure that was kind of created since early on, because actually the pioneers in this, right, with the DTX reimbursement fast track. Yeah, and I was actually going to ask, Louisa, just because all the eyes are on DIGA and have been on DIGA. And so hopefully you can maybe add a little bit of color from the German perspective, but also any lessons learned around that as you guys are moving forward. Yeah, I guess there are many lessons learned and we know that health is a national competency. So we know the German system is quite different from the French one, which is very federal, regionalized, and the French model is quite centralized. And so lessons to be learned, obviously, there are a few, especially if you look at the therapeutics, which are being reimbursed. But before speaking about the lessons, we we're also quite of amazed of seeing the process of implementation of this funding model in Germany, which really started off with this new law that was adopted and that paved the way and that shows really that political will needs also to be accompanied by concrete infrastructure, by concrete funding and so on. And the BFAM, which is the regulatory agency in Germany, which holds actually the responsibility for the DIGA, I mean, obviously has provided a real department for that, but the model seems to be structured in a quite different way, as we found out. So yes, this all started back in November. I mean, it started in 2020, but in November, there was already this conference in Berlin, and there was also EIT Health, which is this public-private partnership funded by the European Commission, which also kind of pointed at the need that we should look at what the Germans do. And so that's a little bit also how the European dynamic started. So what we've seen from the German model is, again, as Emmerich just said, the scope is quite small in terms of digital therapeutics, which are being reimbursed. And also the funding model is different because in France, we have a national funding strategy for digital health. It's called Digital Health Acceleration Strategy, funded by 700 million euros, even more to come very soon. So that's a little bit also the difference between the two models, where we saw that in the German case, there were many entrepreneurs coming 
wanting reimbursement, but what they needed is already to have a very nicely equipped dossier, which is not something easy to do for a small startup. You need to have lots of expertise, support, even a team speaking German in some cases. And so we already saw that limitation of the German model. And that's what we addressed with our own national digital health strategy that we provide calls for projects where we take the project holders, the, the coordinators, the entrepreneurs by the hand and guide them, for example, in the establishment of their medical economic evaluations and their protocols and so on. So that's a little bit the difference. There is end-to-end funding strategy accompanying also this new fast track, which is about to be published and not yet operational, but soon to come. And then the second difference is, I think, also the implementation part. We don't know yet how the German model will be different from the French one because the French one is about to come. But again, the model is different, centralized versus federal. And last but not least, what we can learn from the model, I let also Emeric complete a little bit here, is the therapeutic areas are quite interesting to look at. The main therapeutic focus is mental health. And then also looking at the volume about what actually comes to reimbursement and what is actually used. So that's also the next step we want to learn from the Germans. What are the applications which are now in the DIGA directory? Are they actually used? Are they making any sense? Do they reach the patient? Do they actually achieve better health results in the healthcare system? Are there actually costs being saved from that, et cetera? So there's many open questions still on the pathologies as well, targeted on the usefulness of all of this. And just to conclude on those points here, Germany is not the only country having considered these developments. Currently, Belgium is also implementing a model. Luxembourg is about to propose something as well. The Nordic countries, Finland, Sweden, and so on, also considering this. If there's anything else to add, Emmerich, on the DIGA and let's call it watching the Germans. We had many discussions with the bee farm and with companies that wanted the DIGA. So there's many lessons. And I think one of the important lessons we have to listen that it's not because you reimbursed that you wouldn't be prescribed. And the awareness of both physicians and patients are really, really important. And I think that is something that is really key because it's a medical device. You cannot communicate as you want to communicate on those devices. It's regulated. So we really have to take that into consideration. And it's not only a matter of reimbursement. There's a usage. And we have in France established a few programs to improve usage of DTX. And I can never translate this. It's a tiers-lieu d'experimentation at the um, third-party location to experiments, so where we will enhance the usage. Like a sandbox, almost like a sandbox. Yes, a kind of sandbox, but in hospitals and our healthcare locations. There's a lot of different initiatives. There's also big initiatives, and there's more than 100 million on that, on training of physicians about digital health, generally speaking, but in particular about DTX, that will also, we think, play a major role in the adoption of digital technology in healthcare. And as always, it's interesting because I was going to dive in some of the things, and I still remember when 2020 hit and DIGA started moving, and if you guys remember the days of when Clubhouse launched, so Germans picked up quite quickly on that Clubhouse network, and lots of the discussions that I joined was around DIGA, and luckily many of them were in English. And one of the challenges, and I think still is, and I think Luisa also alluded to, is 
everything from the number of prescriptions to today when the doctors prescribe a pill, they don't do anything with it. Pharmacists are the ones dispensing those pills in the front lines. So you kind of alluded to the fact that obviously doctors that will be prescribing this need more education and love hearing that there's, you know, 100 million plus just for that. So we'd love to dive deeper into have you guys even surveyed doctors in France on their knowledge of DTX? And how did you guys even come to that conclusion that you need to invest more in education of doctors in prescribing digital therapies and tools? So the decision-making process, and maybe you can dive a little bit deeper what will be as part of that program or process to educate. There's uh, several steps in this education, but the main was based on the consultations of stakeholders who said, and physicians and also patients said, okay, with big issue here, because physicians and whole healthcare professionals, generally speaking, are not trained well enough because it's not mandatory in their training. So first we had to regulate and create the set of skills that those physicians has. And so there was a regulation that they would passed a few months before and after we have to found the trainings of the physician. So that's where the uh, 118 millions comes. It's to found the universities, in fact, that train the, all the physicians, but also the pharmacists and uh, all of the professions related to healthcare. So all really all healthcare professionals, not only physicians. Just to bring general culture, but also to dive into the tools they will have to use on a day-to-day -day basis, really important. And we think that this is the uh, general cultures. After, there's another issue about knowing a particular DTX when it comes in your field. So still, we don't have the real solutions. It's currently ongoing discussions and there's several institutions that are involved in this discussion. So because we have the our HTA agencies, that is the HAS, Autorité de Santé in French, that is responsible for the evaluations of the DTX, the scientific evaluations. Maybe we'll come back to that later. But there's also the social security called the CNAM. Caisse Nationale d'Assurance Maladie, who will be the one reimbursing the DTX and are the one responsible to train the physician and to inform the physicians about what they can prescribe and how they should prescribe it. So because it's regulated, we have to go through the key actors about that. But there's also through Mon Espace Santé, that is the patient's health files, we will be referencing the applications that are DTX and that are compatible with the patient's personal health data. And they are currently evaluated. There's more than 18 applications that are currently referenced. They are evaluated in terms of cybersecurity, in terms of ethics, particularly when there's AI involved also about interoperability with the healthcare system. So we're building the confidence here for the patients and for the physicians because both are really important. So we have a usage. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the Chief Medical Officer and General Manager of Health Excel and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hi, Luisa and I'm Eric. Can you say a little bit more about the rigor and the level of evidence that's expected from a digital therapeutic? 
to qualify for reimbursement? Thank you, Chandana, for the question. This is a good question because there's many differences with the German way here. In fact, there's no definitive answer to this question, and it's a matter of scientific evidence that will be supporting your claims and how you will impact the health of patients or the organizations of the healthcare. That being said, you have to consider that in France, we have many guidelines that are published by our health technology agency, that is HAS, and you have to read those guidelines. Most of those guidelines are in English, are translated in English. There's some that are only in French, but you will find guidelines about how you handle the organization of healthcare, how you impact organization of healthcare. And there's new published guidelines about what is the nomenclatures, how you can consider everything. But also there's a specific recommendation about DTX that exists out about how you handle the change with medical devices. I think there's at least 20 guidelines and the specific guidelines and references for chronic diseases that were part of the experimentations I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. There's no definitive answer to this question. And you cannot say, here's the list. There's five items and you have to enter for each five items. You have to be scientifically accurate and precise. And you have to say, my claim is this, and I'm supporting this claim with this level of proof. And I'm going to jump in here. And I think obviously as governments around the world are learning, and as this technology continues to advance, or set of technologies, meaning software as a medical device or an intervention. So I think there's obviously a lot to learn from all the stakeholders. So I like the approach you guys took as far as the whole stakeholder management. I guess would love to dive in a little bit on some of the timelines that you guys see. You mentioned X number of million allocated for this, for education, et cetera. Where are you guys in the process? And when should both startups and larger companies expect the process to kick off? So let's dive deeper into timelines here. Okay, timeline. So it's no definitive timeline because there's a, a decree that has to be accepted by uh, the French government. And so the decree should be published during the first semester of 2023 and then will be ready. There's already the convergence platform for all technical evaluation, cybersecurity, interoperability. But once it's published, everything will be set in motion very fast. So everything should be ready by the end of the first semester and then all the companies can come and find that they can already check the uh, convergence platform on the website of the Agence du Numérique en Santé, the digital health agency that will handle all technical specification and dive through the guidelines of the HAS because every guidelines you need are already there and there won't be any new magical guidelines that will come after. Once the decree is here, then the reimbursement pass will be one-year period. You will have a preliminary evaluation of the scientific proof, and it's more a matter of eligibility to the fast track. Then you will be reimbursed with a fixed price for one year. During this reimbursement, you will have to file the full proof for your claims, and there will be an examination by the HTA agency. And also you will have to be certified 
for the technical aspect. And after the one year period that is not renewable, you will have the definitive evaluation saying, okay, you are reimbursed and we are negotiating the price before the end, or you are de-reimbursed because we think that the level of proof you currently have is not sufficient to support your claims. Not to forget that as of today, there are already a few DTACs reimbursed in France. So you can also take the regular route until the decrease, the ministerial order is being published. This is the, care for, uh, the case, for example, of MoveCare. So it actually went not too slow. It went quite fast also through the regular process. So this is also a way to obtain reimbursement. So it's not that there's no solution yet. Just be patient for the order to be published. And also the HIS, the National High Authority for Health, as Enric said, has also implemented a unique gateway. So basically you can contact them as well. And they provide not individual consulting, but they provide answers to your questions through an email at the Digital Health Mission at the Health Authority. I just want to complete here also on the European work we're doing, because we haven't spoken about the European task force that was actually launched also during the French EU presidency to harmonize evaluation criteria for digital medical devices. And so what Emeric said for the French case is now also being discussed at the European level with many task force members coming from many different European countries, at the core of them being, of course, France and Germany with BFARM. So what this task force plans to do is publish recommendations early 2023, which will be available on the website of EIT Health. They're actually coordinating this task force. And France, with our digital health delegation, is chairing this task force together with UNITA, which is the European body bringing together all different HDA agencies of the EU. And so basically, three work packages tackle the same questions that we have at the national level, also at the EU level, so that ideally an entrepreneur can also have a kind of European vision for market access of his or her product, because that's also the case for many countries which are quite small. It's quite a burden if you have to access 27 procedures. It's not very lucrative. And also the patients will get delayed access. So that's why this task force is working on three work packages mainly. The first one is about the taxonomy. Already Emmerich hinted at that. What do we define as digital medical device by application purpose, for example? Is it targeted at healthcare professionals and or directly for patients. There's so many more hybrid definitions that you can imagine between those two extremes. The second work package is about the evidence requirements, the minimum requirements that HTA agencies will require for those digital medical devices to be reimbursed. So perhaps we can find consensus among those countries so that ideally the HDA agencies, the B farms, uh, the ASHAs will recognize each other in terms of evaluation. And thirdly, all the socioeconomic dimensions which are linked to that, to the uptake of a technology in a national healthcare system. We spoke about the different natures of healthcare systems in the EU, but what are the essential criteria that actually digital therapeutic or digital medical device can reach the patient, including the reimbursement factor, including procurement, including many more factors that define actually whether a digital medical device can be effective. So in a nutshell, we'll publish those recommendations, I think at the late end of the first quarter of 2023. So stay tuned on those developments as well. And for the listeners here, some of the links that the team here mentioned, check the notes for the podcast. We'll include those. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Louisa Stue and Amaric Perchant, eHealth Project Directors at the French Ministry of Health. I want to go back a little bit to something that we started chatting about. But again, as we think about self-paced digital therapies and probably most likely in the non-prescription space, 
We alluded to the role of the doctors, nurses, and pharmacists in the front lines that are key to the prescription digital therapeutics. Curious on how does the ministry look at this? What are some of the efforts outside of the educational components that we just spoke with? Any other comments or thoughts about the role of those key professions in actually prescribing and maintaining that prescription with the patients? To be perfectly honest, we don't have yet a proper plan about that as of now. We know we will learn as we are going through the process. Anyway, we have already experience from the previous experimentations I mentioned before. So if we're dealing with chronic diseases, we know that every stakeholders in France are ready because everyone knows how it's working and it's now pretty a standard of care. So it's not a matter, will it be prescribed? We know that every patient will ask for it anyway and that physicians are aware. DTX is a little bit different because the awareness is still not here, but you can't build the awareness before the reimbursement. It's a chicken and the egg problem. Exactly. So here we're starting with the reimbursement and then we'll start to say, given the level of proof, one DTX file, then we'll know how it will be prescribed. So what we are currently setting up is how you will follow, given the claims and the proof, how you will follow for each DTX individually the prescriptions. So you don't have a broad adoption, but an efficient and precise adoptions for a purpose that is targeted. And I think this approach is really important. You don't have to give DTX for everyone. You have to give DTX to people who need it based on the claims that DTX have. This is really important. And one key takeaway is that there is a scientific evaluation of the performance and what the DTX will bring to the patient or the organization. And you have to follow the scientific evaluation. So this will be what we will be doing. What changes also is the types of new data that we need to collect in the process. And I think we have many new collectors also of data, many new, even patients get new roles in that. We mentioned to you one is best day where patients also become more and more emancipated about their health data use. But we're speaking about real world data nowadays, and this is more than true for development and the testing actually of digital health applications. So it's a new way of seeing health data. And I think it goes hand in hand with the developments at the EU level with the European health data space. So we need to train healthcare professionals to become more at ease with this new parameter in their practice. And it happens with the digital health trainings, which are now becoming mandatory next year, actually, for all healthcare professionals in their initial training in France, as mentioned by Emeric, but also other healthcare professionals and just doctors. You mentioned nurses in your questions and paramedics and pharmacists. They also need to be strongly associated in this approach. Good point around trusting the data and understanding and the new sources of it. So appreciate that comment here as well. As we come in towards the end here, we'd love to hear from both of you some of the key challenges of success of digital therapies going forward. What makes you guys lose sleep at night? There's many things, but for the DTX reimbursements, what will keep me awake at night is really, will there be a massive wave of industrials that will come and that will fight for reimbursement to be sure that patients will benefit from it and healthcare professional and organization will benefit from it. It's still an open question for us because we don't have launched yet the reimbursement pathways and it's kind of only discussion and we're on the verge of 
starting it. So will it be a huge race or there's only a few? We really think that will be many, but it's still a question. We hope we will be overflowed with DTX, but still what is really important here is that we don't just want to be overflowed. We want to be overflowed by DTX that have scientific proof. By the way, in France, we're also funding these clinical evaluations before anyone wants to ask reimbursement. There's a few conditions. You have to be a French company and you have to be the holder of the CE mark, for instance. But there's uh, nearly 100 million of budget to fund those clinical evidence. And it's really important. So we will be overflowed by really DTEX that are backed by clinical evidence. That will be the way I will formulate it. So yours in summary is around demand management, the hope of being flooded by applications that are evidence-based and hopefully with the right outcomes. Luisa, anything to add? What makes you lose sleep at night, if anything? Yes, so I would say my concern is the European single market for digital health that we spoke about earlier. So it would be great, of course, if we can get all of these DTXs to the market and if that happens in a fast way and if patients can get access. But we're no longer just in our countries. We travel a lot. We have many curriculums and trajectories which cross borders. So my concern would be that we have more or less the same solutions, even though healthcare systems are quite different in all of the European Union, so that we don't have entrepreneurs to come to 27 markets and reapply and reapply and all the time different. It just creates confusion. So we need to create a strong European market for digital health so that companies also remain here and don't go to the US or China. They can do this at the same time, but they should still remain anchored here so that we have the best healthcare systems of quality and of sustainability for our patients. I love that because I think that's where we've had, and I say we because I've been personally living in Europe for 11 years, we've had a lot of brain drain from that perspective, starting companies across Europe on great entrepreneurs and then moving to US for the scaling. So love that effort with the task force, especially. That actually brings me to almost the last question, but would love your guys' quick thoughts and advice to the startups. I think one of you guys mentioned earlier, like with Diga, some startups coming in needed to know German or at least have some presence. So would love to get your thoughts or advice that you would give to startups that are gearing up to enter France with their digital therapy. Any parting advice? I think the advice would be, you have to be patient because first of all, we need to get this ministerial order out. But on the other hand, I think pragmatic approaches are very appreciated here. So try to be as pragmatic as possible also on the data that you use, that you present. I mean, obviously it's good to use French data if you go to the French market, but there's more and more exceptions and more and more European perspectives used. Clear protocols, clear demonstration of your benefit to the French and European healthcare systems are appreciated. I think that's the way to go. Prove also the benefit to the patient. I mean, obviously, Emeric mentioned it very well beforehand. We do focus a lot on how the patient can also be embarked in this. So it's important to prove the benefit on that as well. One piece of advice I can give is that you have to have a clear strategy that is both regulatory and clinical. You have to aim right and not go everywhere. So you have to have one set of claims that is really clear to have clinical evidence that are accurate and you have to be honest about your evidence. 
you don't have to involve any marketing guys or communication guys about that. It's scientific evidence and you have to follow up after in the spirit of the medical device regulations where you have to fight for the C-mark. But once you have the C-mark, it's not the end of the road. You still have to support the proof after the C-mark with post-market clinical follow-up that are really important. With reimbursement, it's exactly the same. You have to support continuously the claims You have to do post-market because the reimbursement, you will have to file again reimbursement in three to five years. So with the fast track, even if you don't have the whole set of proof at the beginning, then you have to be honest saying, okay, I don't have everything right now, but I will have those set of proofs within three and five years. And let's meet again in three and five years. And really it's about trust. And this is a spirit of how we do things in the digital delegation at the ministry. We try to build trust. As we started with you guys and your fun, interesting fact, would love to end this podcast with, again, both of you. Would love to know what gets you up in the morning. It's an easy one. What gets me started in the morning currently is my ability and the fact that I can change things. Because I've seen many things when I work in startup that were not working right. And now I know what's wrong. I know what's not working. I know what has to be improved. Now I'm in a position where I can change things. And so it's really important. It makes sense. So when life makes sense, it's easier to get up. What makes me get up in the morning is to be part of a very dynamic team, actually, and which makes me want to join this sometimes tiring effort, actually, to convince also actors to think differently and to embark also in that approach, uh, new actors, including the citizens, which is sometimes long and sometimes, yeah, it's demanding lots of energy, but it's worth it at the end of the day. So that team at the ministry is really fantastic. We're all coming from very different backgrounds, many private sector backgrounds, but also some scientists and so on. So that's really something that makes me also go in this kind of rebound effort in this kind of fighting attitude. I'm thinking we're all quite resilient. So we get down sometimes, we get deception, but we all have this capacity of rebounding quite fast and that's quite energetic. So yeah, I would say the human element makes me want to go to the office every day. And the belief that we can change something, as said by Emery. Love it. Thank you both for making the time for this. I love the energy and I'm hopeful that next year we'll hear a lot more news sort of in that first or two quarters of the year. And you guys are flooded with applications of awesome entrepreneurs helping. So thank you again and we'll be in touch. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.